It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. So we're going to start out this particular episode with a little fun wrinkle uh, in it, and that is that I asked the students, and I think I have, what, six volunteers that are going to come up, and because some of you are just tuning into the Daily Thunder podcast, this is your first episode, and you tune it on, and it's episode 18 in a series, okay? But this is a good series, and I don't want you to miss episodes 1 through 17. However, that's a little daunting. If I were to say, hey, listen to the first 17, and then you could listen to this one. Uh, it's okay if you listen to this one. Each one of these episodes can be a standalone, but it is rich and it is powerful and it is important for such a time as this. This series called Daring to Do is Stanley Dale is dealing with these, this vision for the return to old school missions, uh, to boldly go where uh, everyone else is afraid to go, to share Jesus Christ. And so we're studying a a gap of time between the late 1930s to the late 1960s and going through specific missionaries that went to uh, Irian Jaya, Papua New Guinea, and basically laid down their lives to share Jesus and the revival uh, on that island that is going to take place. And it's truly a miracle story in so many regards. But out of these first 17, because this is the 18th episode, I asked some students to just volunteer. I don't know what they're going to say, uh, so make sure uh, you say good things, guys. Uh, <laughs> but I want you to just share your favorite episode or what you would encourage them to listen to. If they were going to pick one out of the series, which one would it be? Okay? So why don't you guys form a line up here, and we'll just go one after the next, and you can just hand the microphone to the next person. My favorite was the Savior in the Thicket. That story that Don Richardson tells is absolutely amazing. And it feels like he hits a wall. And when you read his book, you're like, oh, no. <laughs> but it's, it's amazing how it gets resolved. Thanks, bud. My favorite one so far has been fretting like a lion. And just the encouragement to go that you need in order to be ready to go do whatever the heck he wants, no matter what it is, even if you don't know what it is, was just extremely powerful and needed in my life. Thanks, bud. Uh, the one that particularly impacted me was the um, the mission at the mission here at home or here in this field. I can't remember the title, uh, but it was uh, just dealing with well, the missions directly around you in your own community and home. Do you guys remember the the title to that one? By the way, it was like the mission field right here. I think is what it was. Uh, I'd have to agree with Elizabeth. That one was probably my favorite, too. But basically, any of the ones with Darlene Zeigler, they're just so impactful, all the hard things she went through, but she never backed down on her faith with, in God. That's great. Yeah, there's, Leslie's done two on Darlene Dibler, and the first one was the mission field right here. I think that's what it's called. And the second one was Lord, I'm Available. Both extremely powerful. My favorite one was Fretting Like a Lion. It's... It was just like because just waiting for the Lord to use you and not being, um, what's the word, like passive, but being waiting, like pacing like a lion back and forth. Oh, that's great. Thank you. Oh, you know? um, my favorite episode is the second one called uh, Kashimashu. I really like that one because before I heard that message, 
I was kind of afraid of the hardship and the difficulties of fully pursuing God, and I was wondering, like, what do I have to do to, like, enjoy these things? Like, these things are not tasted for me like I don't want to do it, but I realized that if I let Jesus change my taste buds, then the harmony, delicacy would be really tasty for me. I'm going to actually enjoy doing, I'm going to actually enjoy this hardship, so, yeah. Thank you for that. I really appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, anyone who's going to choose passing on the Casu Marzo as uh, their favorite, uh, that shows some boldness right there. Uh, that was a fun one. That's uh, Kipling, my 12-year-old, that's his favorite. Uh, and I think it's because of the, uh, you know, the hat Carl, something about the shark uh, buried in the ground, something about his little boy sensitivities. He loves that one. He's listened to it twice now. Uh, all right, guys. Well, let's jump into this message. I, I want to say thank you to those of you that just did that. Uh, that was uh, a blessing. And until the breaking of day, uh, there are certain pictures in Scripture that enunciate the idea behind this particular episode, which we could simply call persistence, perseverance, endurance. There's various words for it. But one of the classic pictures that I've mentioned multiple times, even through the training semester, is Jacob in Peniel in the dark of night, where he is at the end of his rope, and he runs into God. And he is going to wrestle through the night. Why does he hold on? Why doesn't he just let go? It's because he knows that God has something, and only God has it. You see, his name, Jacob, means heel grabber. So he's a grabber by nature, right? But he's always grabbed the wrong thing. He's always grabbed the heel of Esau. He thinks Esau, who's the firstborn, has everything he wants. It's like, God, why am I a secondborn? And so he thinks the firstborn has it, just like many of us do. We think that our firstborn life, the flesh, is the way that we can accomplish this thing. And so we grit our teeth, we dig down deep, and we try and make it work. But it's only when we let go of our first life and we grab a hold of our second life that we truly discover the secret to Christianity. But this picture of Jacob holding on and wrestling through the night until the breaking of day is critical. It's actually going to be a picture of the entire nation of Israel that is going to come forth out of this. His name is going to be redefined. In that very occasion, he is going to be given a new name, and it's Israel. And in a sense, Israel is grabbing a hold and not letting go until... And so the very essence of this nation, this people group, this idea of what we're grafted into, Israel, is based in this idea of faith, tenacious, persistent faith that will not let go until we see God's purposes accomplished in our life. And so when we use the term daring to do as Stanley Dale as an entire title for the series, you could say, do what? So daring to do what as Stanley Dale? What does Stanley Dale do? I would say with all of Stanley Dale's potential weaknesses, okay, if you, if you read through Lords of the Earth, we could all agree that it's a very real study on his life. And Don Richardson doesn't cover over the fact that he's very human. And so we don't want to elevate these heroes of the faith to be superhuman in the wrong sense so that we can't follow. The one superhero truly in every great story of missions work is Jesus Christ. And yet these men and women that comply, that submit, it truly is amazing to us because we know how humanity works and we know our, mm, our potential of running 
from the challenge instead of embracing it. But one of my favorite things about Stanley Dale that I want us to dare to do is to persist, to not give up, to endure, to keep going. And I'm not even going to go through some of the, even the best stories that show that because I have to give, up, give away too much of the story. But I'm just going to give you the foundations for his life of, of even getting to Papua New Guinea in the first place, for him to just continue forward. I would say one of the most important things that Leslie and I have learned in our spiritual life is to not give up. It sounds like such a basic life lesson, but the devil is constantly trying to say, come on, haven't you seen enough? You need to let go. You need to give up. Isn't it time that you give up? Come on, I think you should consider giving up. Your life would be so much easier if you just give up. And I tell you what, the thought does float through my brain. Give up? Should I give up? Should I? Am I supposed to give up? No, I'm not going to give up. I have been given a commission, and I know precisely what I'm supposed to be doing, and I will not set down my sword now. It is a very, very difficult, challenging road that we have been called to go down. And there's going to be 10,000 reasons to leave that path. But to hold on to the one great reason to stay on it is what we need to specialize in as Christians. He is worthy. And so though there will be many reasons to give up, there is one great reason that will never fade and never go away, and that is Jesus. He has done it. He will continue to do it in our lives and in this earth, and he is worthy of our lives no matter the difficulty, no matter the challenge along the way. Genesis 32, 24, then Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. So that, you know, we get the title to our message right there. And so for many of us, we have begun to wrestle in our souls. But one of the things I want you to dare to do as Stanley Dale is to wrestle until the breaking of day. Because it's one thing to wrestle for seven hours in the night and then to finally fall down and collapse and say, okay, that's all I can do. But it's another thing to keep holding on until the sun rises, until the light bursts forth, until something shifts. And for Christians throughout history, we know when that moment happens. Remember Elijah on the top of Mount Carmel? He has just uh, called down fire from heaven. It's a pretty enormous moment in his life. And now it, it hasn't rained in Israel for like three and a half years. And he has heard the sound of an abundance of rain. Now what's funny is, he heard the sound of an abundance of rain, but there's no rain. So how did he hear the sound of an abundance of rain? It was the hearing of faith. He knew what God was going to do. So now what? He heard the sound of an abundance of rain, but there's no rain. So what is he supposed to do? What are we supposed to do? When we know what God wants to do, when we know what he wants to bring into this earth, but we haven't seen it yet. He gets down, puts his head between his knees, and starts praying for the return of rain. And then he looks up and he sends his servant to go look for the rain. And his servant comes back and he's like, oh, clear blue skies. There's, there's nothing going on. So what does Elijah do? Give up? No. He sticks his head between his knees and prays. For what? For the return of rain. Remember that rain that he heard? And then he looks up and sends his, you know, tells his servant, go check. The rain, I'm sure, is coming. Uh, Sir, there's nothing. It's clear blue skies. Well, it's been clear blue skies for like three and a half years. Uh, so what does he do? Give up? No. He puts his head between his knees and prays for the return of rain. We could keep 
sharing this story over and over. He's going to send his servant. The servant's going to come back and say nothing. What does Elijah do? He continues, and he endures, and he persists until what? Until his servant comes back and says, uh, it's not much, but there's a cloud the size of a man's fist on the horizon. And Elijah's like, it's done. You see, when the breaking of day comes, or when the cloud the size of a man's fist comes, however you'd like to describe it, as the believer, you know the breakthrough. You sense it. What you needed to do in persevering in your faith has been accomplished. Even though it's just a cloud the size of a man's fist, it's enough. It's sufficient to let you know God heard. He is coming. And so for us, that historically has been called praying through that you pray and you pray and you pray and you pray, or as the neighbor, knock and you knock and you knock and you knock until that door opens. As the widow, you nag and you nag and you nag and you pull on his shirt sleeve, on the judge's shirt sleeve, until he relents and says yes. And this is what Jesus has actually asked us to do. He says, keep knocking. Keep begging uh, that judge. You see, if even an unjust judge would hear you and relent. How much more the God of the universe who delights to hear your plea and desires to answer your prayer. James 5, this is a very interesting statement. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed. Some translations would say supremely happy. Why? Because it's that same word, that makarios word. Supremely happy. Indeed, we count them happy, blessed, who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So Job is going through some difficulty, and I think most of us are fairly well familiarized with the Job story. We try and stay away from the Job story, not talk about it too much, lest God get any ideas with our life, right? And yet, listen to what it says. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord. You see, the reason we can walk through something difficult, even a Job-like circumstance, is the end that is intended by the Lord is good. It always is. And so therefore, we can endure great privations and challenge because we know that God has an intended end. There's a reason why we can be supremely happy is that God even takes what the enemy means for evil and turns it to good. We know the end intended by the Lord. You can just read the end of Revelation. You can see exactly what's going to happen. And so as a result, we can endure great challenge now because we know what is coming out of it. Hebrews 3, we are Christ's house if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. Isn't that an interesting statement? First of all, we need to hold this hope firm to the end. So there's a hope that is very easy to let go of and to not hold firm. And it says, for we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. You see, oftentimes the beginning of your confidence is strong, but you're supposed to hold that confidence into the very end. And that's where many of us along the journey let go. 
we let things slip out of our hand. The importance of perseverance in our spiritual life is very high. So one of the terms I've used in my life is holding on to the banister, not letting go until. And this goes back quite a, a long time in my life when I was in my developmental years as far as understanding grace. I didn't understand what grace was. No one ever taught me about grace except for in sort of the misused version of it, which is sort of like God overlooks you know, all, your, uh, all your sin. I didn't understand enabling power. And so I, I remember there was some temptation in the middle of the night downstairs. And it's one of those temptations. You ever had a season in your life, or maybe it's been your entire life, where the temptation always wins? So even though inside, like in the in-between moments, you're like, okay, I'm not going to go for that again. I'm not going to do that again. Then when the temptation comes, there you are, almost like that zombie going, must go, must go. I mean, it's just ridiculous. And you get so upset with yourself too. And so I find myself, must go, must go, in the middle of the night, going downstairs. And I remember even having the conscious thought, I don't want to do this. But the power of temptation and the pull of the flesh is greater than your will, right? And so it always seemed to win. And so I remember grabbing a hold of the banister at the top of the stairs and saying, Lord, I know you have a remedy for this. I know this isn't your intent that I just continue to fail and fumble. I know you have a different model. I just don't know what it is. So I am going to hold on to this banister until you give me whatever that is. This is my Jacob wrestling at Peniel moment. And so, I mean, I don't know how long I stood there. It's somewhat of a blur in the middle of the night, but it was probably, it was a long time. It was probably like an hour. And I ended up going back to bed that night. And it was like a breakthrough in my soul where I recognized God does have something for me, but I have to pursue it. I cannot just accept the defeat, but I need to reach out for something. I didn't know how the Holy Spirit works. I didn't understand the power of grace, but that was the beginnings of recognizing when I hold on to God and I persist and I do not just become passive to the work of the enemy, God intervenes in my life. So I gave a sermon a few months ago called Dogged, and it's, I'm going to draw a few moments out of it that are really fun. It was actually a very fun message Because the word dogged, I mean, you could guess where it comes from. Well, a dog's behavior. And it's interesting because most of us, when we we think about a dog's behavior, we think, oh, they're so precious, they're so cute. And yet there's certain qualities in a dog of loyalty that are very, very interesting. It's touching, it really is. And But I have this term, if you look up the definition of dogged, it's persistent in effort, stubbornly tenacious. And... It's a wonderful quality that actually a dog seems to natively have, and we as humans need to have it cultivated. So I gave you the, the, the story of Elijah on the top of Mount Carmel, and I said that's the concept historically in Christianity of praying through, or not relenting until. If you hear the sound of an abundance of rain, then you don't stop praying until the rain comes. I mean, why, why would you? If you know what God is desiring to do in this earth, why would you stop at all? Why would you stop short when you know that God is saying, pray, pray? Uh, did you guys ever hear the, d- d- during the semester, did we have the message man under the stage at all? Have we had that? You, say that you just had that? Oh, yeah, that's good. So does, did you guys talk about William Booth and that pray? 
Yeah, it's, it's that sort of thing. We need that charge to our soul that, you know, there are hardened souls out in that audience and they, God desires to win them. So what do we need to do as a church? Pray! And we should have that William Booth-like bellow uh, when we do it. Luke 18.1. Men ought always to pray and not to faint, which also could be translated not to lose heart. It is very easy to lose heart in this. You ever notice that? I, I, I don't know. When you're at Ellerslie, I'm not sure if you, if you remember how easy it is to lose heart in, in this battle. But it is. And it, it's, there's so many occasions that we run into that just say, yeah, well, come on. You gave a good season, a good run, a good run at it. But you know what? Obviously, it's not working out. So you know, why don't you just find an easier course, an easier way to navigate through this thing called life? 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. So if you really want to understand pray without ceasing, I would say look at Luke 18.1, which is men ought always to pray and not to faint. In other words, we continue in our position like Elijah. We don't give up. When we know what God wants to do, we keep going. So we do not faint in our praying. We say, Lord, I know you're going to come through, so I'm going to continue here. I'm going to continue in my position of faith. Consider the ant. So I've really enjoyed sharing this. I, I don't know how many times I've shared the story of Tamerlane. Uh, but Tamerlane was from uh, the 1300s, 1400s, early 1400s. A military tactician, uh, a great leader of his day. And this is something that he said. I was once forced to take shelter from my enemies in a ruined building, where I sat alone many hours. Desiring to divert my mind from my hopeless condition, I fixed my gaze on an ant that was carrying a grain of corn larger than itself up a high wall. I numbered the efforts it made to accomplish this object. The grain fell 69 times to the ground, but the insect persevered. And the 70th time it reached the top. This sight gave me courage at the moment, and I never forgot the lesson. So when you're carrying a grain of corn up a high wall, that's a big job, especially when it's bigger than you are, right? It's a big load to carry. It's a commission that is, you know, challenging. But imagine being that little ant and climbing all the way to the top of a wall, and then right as you're getting close, oh, oh, you lose balance and that grain of corn goes falling and even bounces further away from the wall than when you originally started. For most of us, that would be enough to say, all right, I'm not going to try this again. All right, this is a waste of my time. This little ant goes all the way down the wall, which is a long journey, and then all the way across uh, the dirt uh, to find his grain of corn, pick it back up, and do it all again. 69 times he fails. And there's Tamerlane counting this, and, but he makes it on the 70th attempt. How many of us would have even had a 70th attempt? You, you follow me? That's why it's like, let's consider the ant. There's something about this story that should hearten us to recognize that most of us give up far too soon. Most of us let go of the assignment way before we should ever even consider doing something like that. In fact, there's some of us that need to recognize there are certain assignments you never give up on, ever. Just imagine if the first generation was like, you know, we've been praying this prayer. The spirit and the bride say come. So we've been saying, come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus. The term that we often, that we're familiar with is Maranatha. That's what it means, come Lord Jesus. 
So how many times do you pray that prayer before you realize he's not coming, okay? How about we just sort of throw up our hands and say, you know what, that's not working. But it says the spirit and the bride say come. The Holy Spirit himself has been praying that prayer. And I guarantee you he hasn't stopped. Which means our measurement of success isn't always that we see it finished even in our generation. But our job is to pray without ceasing, to not grow weary in our well-doing, but to press forward and continue. It's one of the great hallmarks of the saints of God. We are unrelenting. The 70th attempt, the most difficult of them all. Could you imagine after 69 times and that grain of corn bounces further away than it's been the entire while? Have you ever had that, that right before the breakthrough it actually can sometimes seem the most impossible? And that's the time when it, we're most likely to give up. I, I've oftentimes used the illustration of when I'm teaching on prayer of Leslie, this one time was uh, stuck at Walmart uh, in, in Fort Collins and she had accidentally, it was one of those things, she had a little, little Hudson was in there, he was probably like you know a year, a year and a half and he's in his car seat. And she had stuck her purse and keys and phone on the front seat, and she was trying to get arranged. You know, when you have a little baby, it's like logistics are challenging. And she turned and hit the door, and it closed, and it was locked. So now her, her purse, her keys, her phone, and little Hudson are all locked in the car. It's over 100 degrees out. And so she's like, uh, <laughs> and she, Hudson's like looking through the window, like, and uh, he's all excited. And she's not doing so well, right? Because she has a, an emergency and she doesn't quite know how to address it because to make a phone call, she would have to leave Hudson. And so it's one of those moments that you, know, you don't really want as a mother, but so she does. She runs into Walmart and makes, I think it was Sam's Club technically. She runs into Sam's Club, begs a phone. They, they allow her to make a call. She calls me. And so she wants to make the call as short and as concise as possible. So I answer the phone and she just starts talking, right? I need you to get to Sam's Club as quickly as possible. Hudson's locked in the car. My keys are in the car. Could you bring an extra set of keys and meet me here as soon as possible? And I just go, okay. And then she hangs up and runs out to Hudson. Meanwhile, I have a problem. One of our cars is in the shop. And I don't even know where the other set of keys are for hers. So I have to figure out where the other set of keys are and I need to get a car. So she doesn't know all the drama that I'm going through. I don't know all the drama she's going through. I just have a request. It's a prayer, if you wanna say it that way. Here's what I want you to reflect upon. When Leslie asks her husband to come to her aid in this situation, am I like passive going, I'll let him you know, have I'll let him sort of sit in that situation a little while longer. I mean, it's her fault that she closed the door anyways. And I have some work I'd like to do. And this is the way most of us see God, <laughs> is that he's just sort of twiddling his thumbs. When in actuality, behind the scenes, I am working like a maniac trying to solve this riddle. I can't communicate with her and tell her what's happening. I'm just laboring. I'm working to figure out where the keys are as fast as I can to find a car to either be driven there or to borrow it and then I, I'm making my way there, and it's a good 20 minutes. So there's a lot of passage of time, and guess what? She could begin to panic that I'm not coming. She could. 
And how do you think it would feel if I came around the corner and right as I was coming around the corner, she'd ask some beefy guy that had bought a baseball bat to come over and bash in the windshield so she could get Hudson out. I'm right there. I'm just coming around the turn, but she can't see that. You see, this is where faith comes in. Do we know the nature of the one that we have asked? And if Eric, an earthly husband, would immediately go into motion to come to the aid of my wife and my son, how much more is our God actively pursuing our salvation, actively engaged in answering our prayers? Just because we can't see the other side of things, and that's why it's interesting when you see the story of Daniel, and he prays, and there's an angel that finally reaches him after 21 days because he was held up by the prince of Babylon. It's like, what a bizarre story is that? And Michael the archangel finally comes in and breaks him loose. It's like, we can't see that side. So we just presume, what, God, you're not interested in helping me? And so we give up. We drop the grain of corn. Luke 18, 1, but how should we, how should we live? Men ought always to pray and not to set down the grain of corn. Now, I adapted that scripture for us. But we are supposed to continually, I don't care what it looks like, and I don't care if it seems further from the height of that wall than when you first started. If you know your assignment, go get that grain of corn, pick it back up, and start carrying it. Galatians 6, 9, a little adaptation with corn and ants uh, in it. And let us not be weary in well-doing, For in due season we shall reap if we do not stop carrying the corn up the high wall. Wouldn't it be nice if Scripture spoke like that? I mean, it would be so clear. 2 Thessalonians 3.13. Again, this has some adaptation, you know, for our little ant corn story. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. Do not give up even though you've done it 69 times only to see that heavy grain of corn fall to the ground. So let's look at Stanley Dale. We, haven't, you know, we have a whole series about Stanley Dale, and we hardly ever talk about Stanley Dale. But we have mentioned him, and you do know enough to be dangerous. We even have a picture of Stanley Dale you know, for our entire series that isn't Stanley Dale. Uh, and that's part of the humor, because up to this point, I actually have, I think it's three pictures in this of Stanley Dale. Like real ones, not of Ernest Shackleton when he was young, which is the actual, we have Ernest Shackleton as Stanley Dale. That would be like the, uh, in, in this series. But we actually do have some pictures of Stanley Dale in this, which is fun. But Stanley Dale's journey up the wall, he has a grain of corn and it's a heavy one. And this is one tough cookie. <laughs> I'll just say it that way. So Don Richardson is going to describe it here in Lords of the Earth. Stanley applied for membership with unevangelized field missions. He was accepted for service in the wilds of New Guinea and soon found himself touring the churches of New South Wales, Tasmania, and Victoria to announce his mission and to encourage financial backing for it. Late in 1947, he set foot once again in New Guinea, this time as a commando for Christ, armed with a Bible instead of a vicar's machine gun. So he'd been there, which is one of the things that awakened him to the plight of New Guinea in the first place, was he went in the military during World War II. But now he feels called to carry this grain of corn up the high wall, and he is to reach the unreached with the gospel of Jesus Christ in New Guinea. And he's doing an amazing work. He's really good with language, so he's translating the Bible, and he's doing this this great work. And Don Richardson continues, mid-morning, April 25th, 1949, so two years later, a riverboat chugged into Stanley's Lagoon bringing mail. Opening one of the letters, Stanley was stunned by the words, We, the field council, have voted to terminate your membership on this field, and the home council in Australia has confirmed our decision. 
You will pack your belongings and leave at your earliest convenience. He read on. The letter expressed appreciation for his various notable contributions. At the same time, his marked individuality, bombastic attitude toward leadership, and attitude towards nationals, a reference to the earlier criticism leveled against him, had weighed the balance in favor of his dismissal. There was another reason. The field council feared, perhaps justly, that Stanley's frankly critical letters to friends in Australia might undermine public confidence in their administration of the mission's Papuan field. Stanley swallowed. Then he closed his eyes as hopes and dreams fell in shattered pieces around him. He looked down at the newly completed draft of the Gospel of Mark on the table and out across the bay to the village where the Zimakani Christians would soon meet for prayer. He had so hoped to lead those young believers through to maturity in Christ and to perfect that fledgling translation. But now, and you can fill in exactly what happened, but now, what does is, what is your future look like when you receive that letter in your life? You know, this man has poured himself out for two years. He has led multiple people to Christ. A difficult place to be to start with, right? Papua New Guinea is not an easy place. He loves it, and he loves these people. He's just finished translating the book of Mark for them. And he's ready to now disciple them and bring them up in the faith. Stanley Dale, we need you to come home. You see, Stanley is a uh, rather difficult guy to be around. And that's why it's interesting to build a whole series around a guy that, uh, even when I, when I chose Stanley as sort of the poster child for the series, Leslie questioned it. And she said, are you sure you should pick Stanley? Because even though he's one of Leslie's and my favorite missionaries, I understood her question. I said, I'm picking him purposely. Because I think the Church of Jesus Christ needs to remember it's not the angelic saints that are so easy to say, now that, that there, there, that's the type of person God can use. But it's actually the ones that aren't necessarily that good with people, that don't, know, that don't usually have a place in life where they fit, that God still has a purpose for them. And that's Stanley Dale. But it's really hard to fit him in. Every time you pick him as a puzzle piece and stick him into a missions thing, everyone around him bristles. He's a very hard guy to get around, uh, be around. He wants to do harder things. Let's go interior. There are people that have never heard it. These guys know the gospel. Let's keep going. And they're like, uh, settle down, bud. Settle down. And the way he disciplines, he's a military commando. And so he's like, hey, hey, if you say you're going to be here at you know, 6 in the morning, I expect you to be here at 6 in the morning. And the other missionaries are like, this is not how you relate to the natives. And yet, even in hindsight, if you look at some of the strongest Christians that he is going to lead to Christ, even here in this village, they're going to become leaders over all the Papuan church, and they're going to look back as the man that most impacted their life was Stanley Dale, because he, he gave them guff. He wouldn't allow them to be slouches. He called them out. And yet all the other missionaries are like, we can't have this here. And yet Stanley is uniquely built. I like Stanley. I could understand that if Stanley was here at Ellerslie and he was on my executive team, I would probably have my moments where I was wishing he wasn't. But God knows that this world needs Stanley Dales. And so I like that. There's an affinity that I have for this man's story because of that. Don Richardson continues, in late 1950, okay, so time is passing, right? In late 1950, Stan set out again for New Guinea seeking a second chance to lead a truly pioneer mission to a Christless tribe. 
Together, Stan and Pat pioneered a new work at Lumi and Eritrea among the Wapi tribespeople. Later, they offered to place their work under the aegis of a mission society known as Christian Missions to Many Lands. Time is going to pass. Uh, in 1954, so this has been four years, Stan, and they've, I think they've returned to Australia for their furlough. And this is what they get. So this is a CMML spokesman that is telling them this. They, the book didn't share what the name of the spokesman was. I think they hid that. But Stan, I'm sorry to inform you, explain the CMML spokesman in 1954 when the Dales returned to Australia on furlough, that you and your dear family will not be able to return to our work in the SEPIC. Stan gazed steadily at his friends, waiting for what was to follow. There are those on the field who object to your return, saying they disagree with your manner of disciplining the natives. Once again, a work Stan pioneered was taken from his hands and given to others. So I want you to imagine this. He is going to return in 1950, and he's going to pioneer a work without a mission society. He's just going to do it. It's like, God, I know I'm supposed to be here. But because he is a guy that is under the command of Scripture, he recognizes he needs authority structure in his life that can speak into his life. And so he submits this ministry that he has pioneered to this mission society. And then the mission society kicks him out of his own work. Okay, good. So just I mean, you put yourself in Stan Dale's shoes and you have to recognize this is a blow. And if we were to say... If we were fellow missionaries with Stanley Dale, could we understand why the Mission Society is saying, look, <laughs> this isn't working. Stan Dale is not easy to work with. Anyone that ever worked with Stan Dale would tell you that. And yet those that worked with Stan Dale would also tell you he's one of the most amazing men they ever met. And so you see the balance, and that's why Don Richardson writes the book. He, he sort of wants to show something. He wants to show that this, this people group known as the Yali probably, arguably, the hardest people group in the world at that time to reach with the gospel, who would possibly be built for such a challenge as that? Because whoever is going to come in and win them is going to have to be the toughest bird on earth. And guess what? That tough bird was being built in and through this. That one man, and Don Richards is even going to say it, it could be that out of all the world, there was one guy that was suited for this job. And he's an unusual character. Don't get me wrong but it's Stanley Dale. And that encourages me. I think it should encourage all of us. God knows our assignment. And when we go through these more challenging situations, we should learn from them. Yes, if we get booted out of a mission society, we should say, God, train me through it. What, what, how can you improve me? How can you sanctify me through this? But at the same time, we don't relent in our call. Go grab that grain of corn and carry it up the wall. But it's been 69 times that I've done that. Keep going, little ant. Don Richardson continues. And so, Stanley Albert Dale lost his second venue for serving Christ in New Guinea. For most missionaries, one dismissal from foreign service added to the acknowledged inconveniences and frustrations of the vocation would be ample persuasion to abandon any further pursuit of a missionary career. And for the remainder, a second successive dismissal would invariably squelch any last lingering desire to make a go of such an exacting task. But there was one missionary who was, as usual, an exception. Stanley Albert Dale. And this is why I love him. I love his persistence. 
I love his fortitude. I love his courage. I love the fact that even though the enemy thinks I've got him, I finally squelched his passion. Stanley Dale rises up and says, God has a purpose for me in New Guinea. I don't know how this is going to work, but I am still going to pursue it. You've been kicked out of two mission societies. So the third one, RBMU, which is the same one that Don Richardson is in, is it's the same one, remember Ebenezer Vine who came to Prairie Bible College and spoke, that was RBMU. He is going to join RBMU, and RBMU is going to take Stanley Dale. Talk about a risk. But he is going to begin the ventures into interior, into some of the toughest places. And one year later, Don and Carol Richardson are going to show up with the Sawi. And so it's the same time period. And that's why Stan, well, Don and Stan will know each other. And so you have a man, Don isn't ignorant of the fact that Stanley's not the easiest guy to be around, but he has an affinity for him too. And when you read the book, you sort of feel that. You feel Don's respect, even though Don is not going to cover over the fact that Stanley had some rough edges. Pictures of Stanley Dale. You guys excited for that? Boy, wait a long time for this. So I've always listened to the audiobook of Lords of the Earth, and of course, pictures don't come with audiobooks, right? You don't, it doesn't stop and say, hey, uh, look at this picture. You know, right? You're listening to it. And so when I, when I, I have the book, because I was getting quotes out of it, and sure enough, right in the middle, you know that middle section? It has some pictures. So even though you can't find any online, well, in the middle of the book, there were some pictures. They're not great pictures, but there's some pictures. So there's one of them, that tough cookie. Uh, so that's with uh, Pat and his kids. And then we have that picture taken from the Lords of the Earth uh, with his hat. And that's, he's going on an expedition. So those are his, uh, his carriers, and they're going to be carrying the cargo with them. And then this was sent from a, a lady that was listening to the series named Danette Maloof. And I'm not sure what the origin of this was, but this is, I think, 1963, an RBMU conference gathering. So there's Stanley Dale right there. I don't know if you can see that with the red circle. There's Don Richardson, and there is Philip Masters uh, right there, who I don't know that you've heard about Philip Masters much up to this point. He's going to become a key character with Stan as we progress. Isn't that cool, though? Consider the dog. So if we're going to be dogged, I think we need to consider the dog. This is what I extracted from the message dogged. It's one of my kids' favorite all-time sermons. Uh, They like dogs. So Bobby the Sky Terrier, 1872. Some of you have heard of uh, this guy. Uh, But Bobby, there's a picture, and I don't think that's the actual picture from 1872, just so you know. I think this was a remake. They made some movie, but that's, that's what he would have looked like. He was a Sky Terrier. So Bobby was a Sky Terrier that belonged to a Scottish night watchman named John Gray. After John Gray died, Bobby spent the rest of his life, 14 years, protecting John's grave in the Greyfriars Cemetery. Now, I don't know what it is about us as humans when we hear about a dog protecting a grave for 14 years. And of course, when he's that little fluff ball and he looks so cute too. But it's the loyalty of a dog is so stunning and precious to us. And yet this is what doggedness is. It is like, no, I'm called to serve this man. I know he's right here. And until he tells me to do something different, Here's where I'm going to be. And you cannot remove him. And so he's known as Greyfriars Bobby. Hachiko the Akita. So this is in 1935. Hachiko was an Akita dog that belonged to a Japanese professor named Ueno. Ueno and Hachiko did the same thing every day. 
They would walk to the train station in the morning. Ueno would jump aboard the train and head to work, and Hachiko would return home. Then Hachiko would come to the train station just prior to Ueno's arrival and be waiting to greet Ueno when he stepped off the train. One day, Ueno suddenly collapsed and died while teaching at the university and never came back home. Every day for nine years until his death, Hachiko would come to the train station in the evening and wait for Ueno to exit the train. For nine years, every single day. Okay, that's like carrying a grain of corn up a wall 69 times. It's, it falls into the category that us as humans, hey, buddy, you don't keep going that long. And that's why we're going to call it doggedness. Because it isn't humanness, <laughs> it's doggedness. And there is something that when the kingdom of heaven invades our soul that changes us to have this quality that we will not relent, even though every human around us is like, come on, they're begging us, don't go to the train station again. Come on, he's not coming. He's not coming. That's the last place I saw him, and this is how my master trained me. I will be there. Now, we all know that Wayno's not coming. We see it. However, in the Christian life, we have been given a promise from our master, and he says he is coming. And so therefore, we wait, and we wait, and we wait, and we persevere, and we endure, because we know our master has spoken. Capitan in 2016. Capitan was a German shepherd dog that belonged to an Argentinian man named Miguel Guzman. Guzman died in 2006 and was buried by his family. Guzman's family noted that his dog, Capitan, disappeared at this time. No one knew where he went. Capitan was seen sniffing around a cemetery a few days later. It just happened to be the same cemetery where Guzman was buried. Capitan eventually found Guzman's grave, and he stayed by Guzman's grave for the final 10 years of his life, refusing to leave. Every evening at exactly 6 p.m., Capitan would lie down on Guzman's grave and go to sleep. Isn't that interesting how that touches us? It's like it's just a dog in a grave. Why would it matter? But there's something about loyalty that a dog shows that speaks our language as humans. We're like, that's good. Even though it seems fruitless, right? There's something about the story that's meaningful to us. And there's something I almost feel like God wants to say, do you see Capitan? That's the way I want you to handle my life. See, Capitan believes that there's still more to Guzman, that he's not totally gone, that he still could come back, that he's just there and he needs to be protected. We serve a living Christ. He is a very real person in our life, even though the world around us would appear to think that we are just sitting on top of a grave. Give up. He's not coming for you. He's not coming back. Oh, he is. And so doggedness in our Christian life is a very, very significant thing. There's Capitan. (laughs) The reasons we often stop waiting. When God appears silent. So when God suddenly goes silent on us, a lot of us give up. The Syrophoenician test is what I call it. The Syrophoenician woman was the one that wanted to talk to Jesus. She had a child who was uh, demon-possessed, and she needed Christ's involvement. And yet, he totally ignored her. And the disciples were getting frustrated. He's like, should we send her away? And Jesus was hearing everything she was saying. And yet, most of us would have turned away and left. There's something about silence that is part of the test of our faith. If you know and you're convinced that there is only one solution for your child and it's Jesus, what are you going to do? You're going to press it until you get his attention. 
And that's exactly, he goes, great is your faith. And so he sees her faith and he's going to respond to it, even though he appears to be silent. There's going to be times in your life when God appears to be silent, but take it as the test. Just be the Syrophoenician woman. When God appears to have forgotten, we'll call that the Lazarus test. Remember, Jesus says his sickness will not end in death and then leaves town. Lazarus dies. Doesn't it look on paper sort of like Jesus may have forgotten his promise? Yeah, there will be times in your life where it appears that God has forgotten. God never forgets. He always remembers his word. So therefore, even though it may appear that God has forgotten, he's coming back. And he'll say, roll away the stone. Lazarus, come forth. How about this reason? When the powers of the natural realm seem too powerful. We'll call that the walking on water test. See, my, my mental picture of the walking on water test, you know, Jesus walks on water. There's another character in, in the Bible that actually walked on water. It's sort of cool, and that's Peter. Now, he didn't do it very long, but he still walked on water. And here's my mental picture of it, is that the winds start gusting and that there's this big Hawaiian surf wave that is like cresting over him because it's enough to get him, his eyes off of Christ and onto the natural realm. And that's what happens to us too, where the natural circumstances just seem impossible and they seem bigger than our God. And as a result, we will oftentimes give up on the supernatural walk that we have because we believe, we actually believe the natural realm is more powerful than our God. And as a result, what does Peter immediately begin to do? Sink. The moment he takes his gaze off of Christ and puts it on the natural realm, he begins to sink. How about this reason? When God seems to have failed. Now, all of us in here with good theology know that God can't fail, but there are times when it might look like he has, like the cross. I know it's funny to say that the cross looked like a failure, and yet, how else, if you were present tense in that moment, this is the Messiah who's, in many people's minds, he was supposed to deliver us from Rome. He was supposed to do so many things. Instead, he dies, which ironically, if you know Isaiah 53 and you know Psalm 22, yes, it makes total sense. However, in that moment, they're still clouded with their own preconceived ideas. And they see this Messiah hanging dead on a cross. It looks like failure. Is it? Oh, no. It's the greatest victory ever. So what looks like failure actually is a victory. You need to remember that in your spiritual life. There are times when things could look like God has failed you. When in actuality, if you were to put on your heavenly glasses, you would recognize God's winning. In fact, that's his great victory. God sometimes cloaks his greatest victories in what we call badger skin. Just like the tabernacle in the Old Testament was covered with badger skin. He cloaks it in something that seems rather mundane. It's like badger skin, but God's okay with that. He doesn't always brag the way we think he should and show off things the way we think he should. He does his, some of his grandest works quietly. It's pretty amazing. Dokimion, the process of proving sterling coins and demonstrating them to be genuine without alloy. So God wants to do something in us. And that is he wants to test us and prove us. He wants to walk us through this dokemian process. And that's what it says in James. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience. That when God brings that dokemion upon your life, upon your faith, 
it produces something very, very solid in your life known as patience. Patience, if I was to give you a very simple definition of it, would be the ability to endure extreme difficulty without breaking. In other words, that you can go through a challenge of the greatest, most epic magnitude and not snap. That's patience. And as a result, we want that. Well, how are you going to get that? Well, your faith needs to be tried. And if your faith is tried, it actually produces that strength. 1 Peter 1.7. That the trial of your faith, so that dokemion of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. So what we want to do is pull a Stanley Dale. We want to do as Stanley Dale did, which is he's unrelenting. He will not stop. He is continuing. You know God, want, God wants to reach these people in Papua New Guinea, and he just will not relent. And, I mean, the story even after this is even better. I mean, it is so powerful, but this is the foundations of his character. You're going to see it even in how he gets over to the Yali eventually. It's like, wow, this is not the easy way to do something, Stan. There's a lot better ways you could live your life that would be a lot more comfortable. I'm not looking for comfort. I have a commission on my life. I know what it is, and I refuse to back down until I fulfill it. Like, what is that? That's like Greyfriars Bobby. That's like, uh, that's, well, Hikito, was that the dog's name, uh, that came to the bus station every day? That's like Capitan, where they just sort of hang out in the grave. It's like, snarl at you if you try and get him off it. No, this is my assignment, and I refuse to leave my post. Hebrews 10, 38. Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure with him. God doesn't seem to be impressed with those that give up, with those that draw back, those that set down their sword and say, hey, this is too much for me, those that leave the grain of corn just sitting there, dying in the faith all the way to the end. You see, our job is to carry that grain of corn as many times as it takes until we get it to the top. All the way to the end. And that goes back to that Hebrews 3 scripture I mentioned in the beginning. We are Christ's house if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. If we get that grain of corn all the way to the top. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. The beginning of our confidence was God clearly speaks to us and says, see this grain of corn? And we're like, yes, Lord. I want you to take it to the top of that wall. We're like, yes, Lord. And we didn't know it was going to take us 70 attempts. But it doesn't matter. We know what we were commissioned to do. Let's do it. It doesn't matter if we're rejected from two missionary societies. We keep going. We keep those legs churning. We go all the way to the end. One of the greatest achievements of any soul is to not just live in the faith, but to die in the faith, which means something that you have been going after. You're carrying a grain of corn up the side of the, the wall and you die doing it. That's dying in the faith. You're dying doing what you were called to do and people go, oh, that's so sad that he never got that grain of corn up to the top. No, you're doing exactly what God asked you to do and even if you die doing it, praise God. That is the highest merit you could get. So, of course, all of us want to see the Lord come in the clouds you know, haste the day when my faith will be made sight. However, we're handing off a baton to the next generation to say, pray for the Lord's return. 
You see, even if we don't see it, we want to be caught carrying the grain of corn up the side of the wall, handing it to the ant after us, saying, now you carry it. But we're going to get this thing to the top of the wall. So the missionary motto of Stanley Dale, going enthusiastically, sharing courageously, serving sacrificially, suffering joyfully, dying triumphantly. And then I have a Stanley Dale scripture which was submitted to me uh, today, this morning, from Daniel Johnson, uh, Psalm 1829. He says, this is like a Stanley Dale scripture. So now I have a Stanley Dale scripture for this message. For by you I can run against a troop, for by my God I can leap over a wall. I like that. We need to find more Stanley Dale scriptures. Stanley Dale prayers. Let's go through this. There's now 18 of them, and they're all really good. So they, each message has a prayer with it. So the first one, Lord, prepare me for the heavenly call. Two, Lord, refine my taste buds for all heavenly delicacies. Three, Lord, season me, toughen me, and prepare me for all difficulty. Four, Lord, may I be preoccupied with that which preoccupies you. Five, Lord, may I uncover that which is in the thicket for my Sawi tribe. Number six, Lord, may I be a doer and not just a hearer. Seven, Lord, show me clearly that I am never out of your sight. Eight, Lord, may I stand when others sit. Nine, Lord, fill me with the spirit of boldness. Ten, Lord, open my eyes that I may see. Eleven, Lord, burden me with what burdens you. Twelve, Lord, show me my role in this grand adventure. Thirteen, Lord, convert my weakness into strength. Fourteen, Lord, reveal your power to this generation. Fifteen, Lord, may I decrease that you might increase. Sixteen, Lord, here I am, send me. Lord, Seventeen, Lord, bring back the old school readiness. 18, Lord, build that heavenly doggedness in me. Father, build that heavenly doggedness in us. May we not relent. May we catch the vision of the ant. And may we not set down that grain of corn, but may we carry it until it reaches the top, even if we die doing it. Lord, here we are. Use us for such grand ends as that. It's in the precious name we pray. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder episodes are released every day, Monday through Friday, from our campus in Windsor, Colorado. And our weekly sermon is delivered live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings with a delayed live stream available at noon Mountain Time. Go to ellerslie.com forward slash daily to get all the details. Thanks for listening.